Well, good morning, everyone, whether you're here in the hall or at home. Uh, nice to see you, if I can see you. And uh, I want to thank Luke for his worship time this morning, because he's put in the New Testament view of what I'm going to say from an Old Testament perspective just now. So it helps balance together. You've had the, the, the sermon in the worship, and now I just do the, bit, the other bit. Uh, thank you as a, for the reminder that God is majesty. He is king. It reminds us of the greatness of God, that that is just one little aspect of, of how God is. He is an indescribable God because we can't really focus on him because we haven't got the words to describe who, what he is like. This morning... As part of our sermon series on the attributes of God, I want to talk briefly about three aspects of God's very being that we rarely talk about in church. Each of these will help us answer the question we need to ask, what is God like? Now, if you've been around church for a long time, you will have heard the illustration about people who are blind being led to feel an elephant to try and describe what the elephant is like. And one of the blind people, he he felt the elephant, and he said the elephant is like a rope hanging down, swinging uh, with a knot at the end of it. And another one said, the elephant's like a rough wall. And another one said, it's just like a tree trunk. Uh, And another person who was blind said, An elephant's like a thick pipe with two holes at the end and it blows out air. And another one said, it's like a large piece of leather flapping in the air. And another one said, an elephant isn't that, it's a large shiny spike. But which one was right? Who was the right person? So this morning we're going to look at three points. First is that God exists. Second, in the beginning, God, and then God the Creator. And these points will enable us to know and understand God better, and then to worship him with greater awe and wonder. Now, on your table in the hall, you'll find details of some very helpful books that I recommend to help you and me to get to grips with just exactly who God is his attributes and character. And for those watching at home, I'll ask Mark to include this in the weekly news information email. I've got some of the books here, but as the little message says, you can find some of them online. If you search long enough and you put PDF in the search, you'll get that one. The one I really recommend is Incomparable by Andrew Wilson. And if you haven't read it, I thoroughly recommend it. It's not expensive. It's very good. And I've deliberately used the first three chapters of this today for the headings of my three points, just to illustrate, just to help us to get a bigger picture of who God is. And then for those who want to explore a bit more about how God uses the whole of Scripture to show what he is like, there's the book God Stories also by Andrew Wilson, which I've just added in the list as saying other books by him are strongly recommended. 
So you can look at those afterwards. Tozer, who wrote The Knowledge of the Holy, uh, says that an attribute of God is whatever God has in any way revealed as being true about himself. The first point I want to make about God this morning is to underline the fact that God exists. Now, the Bible never tries to prove the existence of God. None of the authors of Scripture who were writing over a period of about 2,000 years or so made any attempt to prove that God exists. They don't even question it. But this is not really surprising because the Bible consists of 66 books all about how God relates with man and vice versa. And the writers of Scripture knew that God exists because each of them personally knew God for themselves. For them, God was not an abstract concept, but a living and active being. And through their testimonies, teaching, prophecies, and stories, a reminder of this book here, the Bible writers tell us what God is like. Over the years, a few clever people have developed various proofs about the existence of God, And those are actually quite interesting to read. But even if arguments of logic can convince the brain, they don't necessarily stir the heart into faith and are therefore of limited use. It's only relatively recently that people have begun to question whether God actually exists. Often atheists nowadays will say that they are following science and that science is not able to prove the existence of God. In reality, though, this is often simply an excuse for not wanting there to be a God because they would then have to change their priorities in life. Then there are agnostics who simply say, we don't know. But they're practically in a worse predicament because they're sitting on the fence, and sitting on a fence is very uncomfortable if you've done it for too long. And if they don't know, then why don't they get off the fence and find out? Another book, again by Andrew Wilson, is If God, Then What? Such folk like atheists and agnostics are simply gambling with their lives. And God is not at all impressed with them. Psalm 14 verse 1 says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. On the other hand, God says, I exist, when he says of himself, I am. And for those in the prayer time this morning, uh, that was said, God is, I am. He is always existent. He is existent now just as he was before and will be in the future. The same yesterday, today and forever. He is always the same. The Apostle Paul wrote that not believing God is actually a sin and is worthy of punishment. Romans 1 verse 18 says, and this is Paul writing, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. 
just as he has to us. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. The second attribute of God I want to talk about this morning is what Genesis 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God was. Before the world or any universe existed, God was. While there were still no galaxies, God was. You read in the news, astronomers have recently launched the James Webb Telescope into orbit above the Earth to try and to find light coming from the earliest and most distant stars. They may succeed. However, they will never be able to see what was before those stars were formed, as there was nothing there, only God. God himself emphasized this pre-existence to the Apostle Paul, sorry, to the Apostle John, when he said, and here's uh, some verses in Revelation, he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So in one verse, he says it three times, it was in the beginning. But that verse is repeated three times, or possibly even four, in Scripture. So it's nine times God said the same thing. He was there in the beginning. He also reminds us that he's at the end as well, the omega, the last, and the end. And he is here with us now. Now, some people will question whether God was involved in the creation of the universe, preferring to believe some sort of alternative, and we hear this all the time. However, I find it impossible to believe that a random joining up of subatomic particles triggered the formation of the organized, non-random world we live in today without God's creative mind being involved. And of course, where did the subatomic particles come from if it wasn't from God? I can remember, while I was in primary school, just like we were in the hall here, some children trying to be clever and saying, if God made us, who made God? And you probably heard that question too. But really, such a question only shows childishness. What we know is that for God to be God, he has to be the first. In the beginning, God was. Long ago, Job spoke, sorry, God spoke to Job about this. And after about 35 chapters of the book of Job, where Job and his friends have been discussing the ways of God, God intervened and said to Job, Who is this who obscures my plans with words, without knowledge? Brace yourself as a man, I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all about this. And we have to accept there are some things that we as mere mortals, I put, but humankind may be better, will never be able to understand. 
The origin of the universe is one of these things. Why did God do it? To bring glory to himself. If you question whether God was there at the beginning, I would urge that you read for yourself Job chapters 38 to 42, as they will help you understand the greatness of God, sorry, the greatness of the hand of God in creation. I just read a a couple of verses from that. But if you read on, you'll see that God lays again and again and again the fact that he was involved in creation. What is man when God has been able to do this? And of course, he is still the creator as well. So this brings me smartly onto the third attribute of God for today, that God is indeed the God of creation. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, says Genesis. The fact that God made the universe and everything within it is absolutely foundational to our understanding of God himself. He is the creator God and still is. He is still creating today and we are the result of his creative handiwork. If God is the creator, then it follows that there's a distinct difference between God and what he has made. And we must be careful not to merge the two and start speaking of things like the forces of nature, for example, instead of the power of God. The Bible, in fact, never talks about nature, but about creatures, because the word creatures points us towards the creator. If you watch the BBC series of natural history programs narrated by Sir David Attenborough, you will repeatedly hear what I mean. Whatever he may say, nature in itself does not have creative power. So we look at those programs, we marvel at God's handiwork, we see his beauty in creation, but we realise that this plant can't do such and such, that plant can't do such and such, without God saying, by his voice, do it. A quote from Andrew Wilson's book, Incomparable, he says, one of those on my suggestion, sorry, Andrew Wilson says, if creation is one of the Bible's most important teachings, it is also one of its most contested ones. And confidence in it needs to be restored. We cannot go into the ins and outs of the debate here, but evolution is widely believed to make the Bible's account of creation impossible. And although this is not true, it still holds a lot of influence at the popular level. It's worth pointing out, though, this is Andrew Wilson still, that people may choose evolution over creation not because the science points that way. In many areas it doesn't. But because it is a theory that does not need God. You may ask, how should we view the creation, of Genesis, uh, the, uh, creation account in Genesis? And my personal belief is this. This is from me, not from Andrew Wilson, not from anyone else. And you may not agree with it, you may not agree with it. And I, hopefully I won't be too controversial in this. My personal belief is this. That the, 
account in Genesis is a brief precy of creative events written at such a level that it is widely understandable by all people all around the world and of all generations. It was written for us all, whether we're educated, uneducated, it's written that everyone may understand. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The whole passage bears the stamp of God, inspiring Moses or whoever it was who wrote it, to write what he wrote. It was never written to be a scientific paper covering every little detail and should not be judged as such. To me, the discovery of dinosaur fossils that were already in the ground well before Genesis was written proves to me that God has limited the information included in the biblical creation account to what man could re- and woman could reasonably understand. There's far more to it. It's just a few words. In fact, if you read Psalm 104, you'll find so much more about creation than there is in Genesis 1. Did God take six days to do this? Or a little longer? My view, for what it's worth, is that he could have done it in six hours or even six minutes if he had wanted to. I feel that Genesis uses the term days because all readers will be able to identify with this measurement of time. We have minutes and we have seconds and things, but that's all a recent invention of of man. We have years, but again, that's an invention of man. God does the days and we can look to him because he is the one who said that he did it in these days. The big message from Genesis for me is that God did the creating using his voice to do it. Remember each verse says, and God said. And he was pleased with what he had done. It was good. And Genesis says, and God saw that it was good. In 1952... I think that was the date it was actually published first. J.B. Phillips wrote a book called Your God is Too Small. And it's on the reading list. And I believe this is the message we need to take for today. God is far bigger than we can ever imagine. He is truly an amazing God. And we should be awe in him, awe of him, uh, as we sang this morning. And just as a way of showing how incomprehensibly amazing God is in creation, we can look at the stars. Now, I've chosen stars here, but I could have chosen the eruption of teeth. Being a retired dentist, there's a miracle in the eruption of teeth. You can ask me about it other times. And there are so many other things I could choose, but I chose stars this time. When I was much younger, I remember lying on the ground in a field in North Norfolk, where there's little light pollution, on a clear, dark, moonless night, looking up at a myriad of stars above me. There must have been a million of them. I've never, ever seen so many in my life. I shared this sight with God, because he was my only companion there at the time. And he reminded me that it was he who had made them, 
and that he was almighty. I knew at that moment that I could safely trust in him with my life. And it was a holy time indeed. So just look at the stars. Scientists know that light travels at the speed of 5.87 trillion miles a year. The galaxy, of which our solar system is a part, is about 100 light years in diameter. In other words, about 587 trillion miles across. And in our galaxy alone, there are more than 200 billion stars. The sun is just one of them, a modest star burning at about 6,000 degrees centigrade. It travels in its orbit around at 135 miles a second and will take about 250 million years to complete one revolution around its galaxy. Our galaxy is only one of about a million such galaxies. All this immensity is summed up in the mind-boggling understatement of Genesis 1 verse 16. He also made the stars. He also made the stars. In five words, that huge immensity gets focused down. And he holds them in his hand. Well, God doesn't have a physical hand. But you think, how big his hand is? And that's just his hand. He holds them in his hand. Yet each of these stars is made of atoms and subatomic particles crafted by God from nothing. Similar to the atoms and particles that we're made up of, God. So today we've been looking at the huge greatness of God, but of course there's also the fine details, that he knows every cell of us. He knows every little bit of us. He knows us inside out. Isaiah 40 says, To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. And then I think it's Isaiah writing, Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these stars? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one of them is missing. God knows every star. How much more will he know everything about us and know us? God created all things. And if he had done nothing else, this alone would make him worthy of all glory and honour and praise. Our only response can be this. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now, that was the end of what I was going to say, but I just want to say a tiny, tiny, tiny bit more. That in Genesis, it appears to be God the Father who does the creating, although the voice 
And you, from, uh, one, from John 1, verse 1, uh, we see that Jesus was the Word. And in Psalm 104, it says that the Spirit did the creating. And in Colossians 1, starting at verse 15 or 16, it says that Jesus did the creating. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created in Jesus. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers of authority, all things have been created through him and for him. So, the Trinity of God was involved, and that's another of his attributes, we'll talk about later, I should think, uh, was involved in the creation and everything was for his glory. We are created so that we might worship him. He wanted us to worship him because he is so great. So that's the end of what I'm saying this morning. I hope that some of the answers to the questions this morning will just add some of the New Testament bit to what has basically been an Old Testament talk this morning. So... These are questions which we'll discuss around our tables. Was there anything that particularly struck you from this morning's talk? Secondly, when you have times of doubt about God's existence, what do you do to help you rebuild your fuller faith in him? And then, when we consider the greatness of God, does this make you feel rather distant from him? It could do. What can we do to rebuild an intimacy with him again? Fourthly, can knowing God as the creator inspire our prayer times with him? And finally, just as a make-weight, but you might just think about it, do you find theology, which is really what we've been talking about today, discovering more about God exciting or boring? And explain why. So those are the questions. For those at home, you need to clock off here and go into Zoom and uh, can carry on your discussions there. And around our table, we will look at what I've said. And remember, I'll leave the books here so you can have a peep at them afterwards and decide whether you want to Google them, buy them, read them, inwardly digest them, but don't forget to read Scripture as well because that says all about God in God's stories. Thank you.